Please join me as I pray. Glorious and gracious Father, we thank you on this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for the most magnificent display of love ever imagined, that you would bring your Son into this world to live the life we could not live, to go to the cross in our place and be raised from the dead, bringing us new life. May this resurrection truth become a reality for us today. And so to that end, we pray that ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit. Take all the things that we brought in this morning, all the things weighing heavily on our minds, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Speak and move. Transform us more and more into the image of our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. It is so good to begin to say hallelujah again. I'm not going to have us do it again, but don't forget it. (laughs) It is rich and it is a glorious gift. Well, in every story, there's an invitation from the author, not to just read the story, but to actually enter into the story. And you know, as well as I do, some stories are easier to enter into than others. I'm sure many of you are familiar or have read J.K. Rowling's series on Harry Potter or seen the movies. Last week I was in L.A. helping Anne Claire and Connor move back to Fayetteville, and the last day before we moved, uh, we went to Universal Studios, the theme park, and talk about entering into the story. I've never been on a ride that brought one into the story like the Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey ride. Maybe some of you all have been on that. As you walk through the line awaiting the ride, you are literally drawn into the story as you enter through the gates of Hogwarts. You begin your journey to the dungeons, and as you board the enchanted bench, you literally enter into the scene of the fictional world of wizards. On that ride, there's a screen right before you, although you don't even realize it's a screen, and this enchanted bench is moving back and forth and all the way, and what you're doing is you're literally flying in the sky following Harry Potter, going through all the buildings of Hogwarts, going under tunnels, over bridges. You're confronted with with dragons who actually breathe on you, and literally in that moment, a puff of wind and water splashes on you. Talk about entering into the story, literally being a part of the story. Well, this morning, I want to draw you into another story, the story of that first Easter morning. Many of you have read it. Many of you are familiar with this story. But today, I want you to really enter into this story and encounter the risen Savior and all of His glorious grace and majesty and hope and the life he brings us right here, right now. You see, we're not entering into a mystical world of fantasy here this morning, but a reality that literally changes our lives. Let me recap the story that was just read out of Luke's gospel. So early in the morning as the sun was coming up, probably not unlike this morning, a chill in the air, which is what you will find at this time of year in Jerusalem, Dew on the ground, these women come to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and others, and they carry spices with them, longing to be able to anoint the body of Jesus in the grave. Not only were they filled with grief, you can imagine, I believe they came as hopeless people. 
Because the one that they had followed, the one in whom they'd placed their trust and hope for three years, this one that they saw as Savior and Redeemer and all the miraculous things, this this one who had come from God was now dead. And they had no paradigm. They had no vision, if you will, of a resurrection like that. But to their surprise... As they came to the tomb, they saw the stone had been rolled away, and there were two men, other gospel accounts tell us that they were angels, in dazzling apparel. You can imagine the terror that they felt, seeing these, these two men, their clothes radiated with incredible beauty, standing there, speaking these profound words to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. We're going to come back to that statement in a moment. And then these two men seek to remind these ladies what Jesus had actually told them earlier. He had told them that he was going to be crucified. He told them that he would rise three days later. They had all forgotten. But then they remembered. And upon remembering, the ladies leave that scene and they run into the town where the disciples are in this room and the doors are locked. Now the doors are locked because they were terrified. These are the people who had followed Jesus saw him crucified, the Jews were about to come and get him, and the Romans as well, and so they were terrified. What do we do now? So the women get in that room, and they tell them what had happened, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and the response is, I don't believe it. (laughs) They thought it was an idle tale, except when we see Peter. In John's gospel, he also mentions John. Peter and John hear that news, and they make a beeline to the grave. They run as fast as they can to the tomb. So, friends, this is the story that we're invited into. And for many here this morning, this story will elicit a number of responses, won't it? Perhaps you're here this morning and and your response to this story, this resurrection story, is is like that of the disciples. You don't really believe it. (laughs) You're skeptical, as they were. Really? A dead man rising from the grave? No, not possible. But others here this morning, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but you want to see how does this make an impact in my life every day? How does this resurrection story actually change the way I live even tomorrow when I wake up? Others who believe in the resurrection as well, maybe you're coming this morning longing to have your hope renewed. And there are hundreds of other responses in this room as well. But I want to pose a very important question to you this morning, and it's this. What if? What if? What if it was really true? What if Jesus really did rise from the grave? Friends, God didn't just perform a random miracle by raising a dead man from the grave that day. He did something far greater What God was doing was starting something new. As the grave was opened up, so was new life right here, right now for you and me. A world of hope, a world ready to be restored. Because you know the reality as much as I do. Our world is a very broken place, isn't it? Things don't work the way they ought to. Relationships become fractured. Things fall apart. There's sickness there's disease, we go through suffering, there's death. Tornadoes come, and they wreak havoc in our lives. They destroy the things that we've built. They leave us with fear and anxiety. School shootings in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, 
It's heavy on my heart on this resurrection morning because we know many of the people in that church and in that denomination there and people who were coming to celebrate the resurrection this morning are coming with heavy hearts, but hearts with hope because the resurrection is true. You see, there's a sense in which we know, all of us, we know that things should be better than the way they are. Not a day goes by where we don't experience challenges. When Jesus hung on the cross and he died three days before this, there was an earthquake. The ground shook. What a picture of where we live today. (laughs) The things aren't the way they're supposed to be. How displayed that was in that earthquake. But on this resurrection morning, the earth shook again. Matthew's gospel tells us that. And the earth shaking in that moment tells us something different tells us that there is something new that has been birthed. Something new has come for you and for me. As we find ourselves in the story this morning, I want you to see that there is hope in the midst of the wreckage that we often live in. The resurrection of Jesus brings you and me hope right here, right now. If you go in your dictionary, and Webster's Dictionary defines hope in this way. Hope is to want something to happen or to hope something will be true. I I hope this will happen, right? But I want you to see the word hope in the biblical sense is very different. Hope literally means profound certainty. It's not, oh, I just hope this will happen. No, in the biblical sense, hope is all about profound certainty. Two things we're going to see out of this passage this morning. First is this. The hope of forgiving grace, the profound certainty of forgiving grace. And the second is this, the hope that our deepest longings can truly be met in Jesus, who is alive today, knowing everything that you and I need. Let's first look at the hope of forgiving grace. Remember the scene, the ladies take that good news to the disciples. Most of them don't believe, but Peter in particular He runs to the grave. Here's what Luke Luke puts it. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Why do you think Peter ran? Of all the other disciples, why do you think Peter ran to the tomb on that morning? He had nothing to lose but everything to gain. Remember, Peter was the one when Jesus was handed over to be, to be uh, arrested in the courtyard of the high priest. There was a fire and, and going on and P- all these crowds around, and Peter was there. And somebody comes up to Peter and says, wait a minute, you're a friend of Jesus. You're one of his. And he goes, no, I'm not. Someone else comes and says, you know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know him. And finally, someone else comes and says, you're a Galilean. You're, with, you're one of his. And he goes, no, I am not. I don't know what you're talking about denied his Savior three times. And the text tells us in the Gospels that he went away and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the shame and the guilt that Peter felt? The weight of having denied his Savior and now he's dead? Think about it. When we sin, when we do things we know we shouldn't do, we feel the weight of guilt, don't we? We feel the weight of shame. And I think for some of us, sin has a way of holding us, if you will, in chains, weighing us down, things that we've not been able to let go of or break free from. 
Most of y'all are familiar with Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol. You know Ebenezer Scrooge? Well, Jacob Marley, one of the characters, he worked for Ebenezer Scrooge for years. He'd been his business partner, and he lived a very selfish and very greedy life. And so in the story, he comes in the form of a ghost before him, and he's bound in chains because of the way he lived his life. And then here's what he said. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I guarded it of my own free will, and by my own free will I wore it. And now I am doomed to wander without peace, without rest, incessant torture and remorse. I wonder if that's a picture for some of your lives today, that you know what that looks like and feels like to walk around with chains on. You long to be free, but somehow the guilt and the shame from the past keeps holding you down. Friends, that's what sin does. We've all done things that we regret, don't we? How many conversations have you had that you wish you could take back? How many things have you done that you walked in, even this morning, nobody knows, but you walked in still with this heavy weight of shame and guilt? Friends, I want you to hear this this morning. The resurrection of Jesus brings us the hope of forgiving grace. Amen? Remember what hope is. It is profound certainty. That's the joy. That's the beauty of it. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 in the New Testament in verses 7 and 8 wrote these words, speaking of Christ. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Friends, that's the good news that we celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday. That's why Jesus came into this world. That's why He went to the cross. He took our place. He took your place on the cross. He really did. I want you to think about it. The Son of God, God Himself, did what we could not do. A sacrifice had to be made. Blood had to be shed because of our sin. And it was either us or Him. And you want to talk about the love of God being lavished on us. He gave his only son, friends. That's how much he loves you this morning. And as his son died on the cross, our sins were poured on him. And he gave us the greatest gift of all, his righteousness. So that through his blood and following Christ, we are now seen as holy and pure and righteous. We become a new creation in Christ. Friends, that's the hope of the resurrection. You see, Peter ran because what if? What if it was really true that it meant that he could be forgiven? That those times that he denied Jesus would be forgiven? That because of hope, he would never be the same? Friends, forgiveness means forever. Did you hear that? Forgiveness means forever. Our sins are gone forever, past, present, and future. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've never told anyone. It doesn't matter. Coming to Christ in the cross means we are forgiven. David in Psalm 103 wrote, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Friends, he remembers them no more. So guess what? We ought to remember them no more as well. That's the beauty, that's the hope that the Scripture brings us today of resurrection grace. 
a number of years ago, uh, Chris Tomlin kind of rewrote that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace. And in it, he put this wonderful refrain. Listen to the words. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. That's the hope that is offered to you and me this morning. A flood, a flow of God's amazing love, his merciful grace, his forgiving grace, so that we can walk, friends, no longer in chains, but free. Think about what that'll do to a family. Think about what that'll do to a community people walking in freedom. The second thing we see here is this. The resurrection brings us hope that our deepest longings, our deepest desires, those things that you have when you walked in this morning, you long to be met. We find that they're fully met in Christ. Back to the scene on that resurrection morning, the ladies are there, and and we read in verses 4 through 6, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Here's the connection. I think you and I are so often like those women who went to the tomb that first morning, that resurrection morning, looking for the living among the dead. We're always searching, aren't we? We're always looking for something. We're always running to something to meet and satisfy different desires and need that we have, needs that we have. So often we look to other people to satisfy those, don't we? Other times we will look to other things that we have or we run to our financial resources saying, okay, that's going to be my security blanket. There's so many things that we run to that we think are going to satisfy those longings that we all have, but they were never meant to. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Where do you run when you're stressed? Where do you run when pressure mounts in your life? What do you run to when your future looks uncertain and you don't know what's ahead? What do you run to to try to satisfy that deep longing in your heart to truly be loved, to be seen and fully accepted? Who do you run to? What do you run to? You see, like the women, we look to things all over the place, but those things will never satisfy. They were never meant to. Only Christ, the resurrected Savior in whom we find true life, will satisfy the deepest longings. There's a beautiful story in John's gospel in John chapter 4 when Jesus, it's the middle of the day, it's really hot, he's standing by a well, and this woman from the city comes up to him, and she's by herself, and it's just she and Jesus, and they begin this conversation, and as Jesus is so merciful and gracious, how he engages us right where we are, being God, he knew her story. He knew that she had had five husbands. He knew that the, the man that she was living with now was not her husband. He knew that she had been trying to get that longing in her heart of being loved and accepted. She tried to get it by men, through men. And it wasn't satisfying because it was never meant to. They were never meant to. And so then Jesus says these rich and profound words. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. She's coming to the well to have her thirst quenched. And Jesus all of a sudden turns this scene around Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see what he's saying? He's saying, come to me. Nothing is going to satisfy, friends. I know as well as you do because there's so many things that I tend to run to as well. Nothing will satisfy until we come to the source of living waters. He quenches not just our thirst, but he satisfies our soul so that we find in him we have everything we need. You see, friends, the resurrection of Jesus didn't just bring him back to life. It brings you and me back to life. You see that? Life where we no longer wear chains. Life where we no longer walk around carrying the weight of what we used to do. Life where we find that Jesus truly does satisfy our every desire. So friends, the invitation for us this morning is not to just enter into the story of the resurrection, but the invitation for us is to enter in the entire story of the biblical narrative. On that ride, Universal Studios, as exhilarating as that was, flying in the air, thinking I was literally there, as exhilarating as that was, nothing compares to the thrill of entering into every day the glorious biblical narrative where we find the magnificent love of a God who has come to set us free and bring new life to us every day. Two quotes I want to end with. The first is from a friend that I went to seminary with years ago. His name is Russ Ramsey. He wrote a book not long ago titled Behold the Lamb. Here's what he wrote. Every story God tells us is filled with glory. I want to see it. I want to be captured by the wonder of impossible promises coming true. I want to read the pages of Scripture with my eyes open to the beauty of mercy and grace. That's what we find in this narrative. The last one is from Eugene Peterson, that wonderful pastor and theologian. He wrote, The Bible is not a script for a funeral service, but it's the record of a God who always brings, brings life where we expected to find death. Everywhere is the story of resurrection. And so tomorrow when you wake up is the story of resurrection. When you wake up on Thursday, that is the story of resurrection. And the invitation is to come and receive the King, receive Him in all of His glory, and friends, you will find new resurrection life in Him. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, you've made this become a reality in my life. I remember the years, the things that I ran after that never satisfied until you grabbed my heart. Would you do that this morning in our midst? Father, those who are running all over the place, open their eyes to see your magnificent glory to see how you really are the only one who satisfies forever. Would you renew us in resurrection hope today? For we bless you for this gracious gift. In Christ's name, amen.